I'm titled the message, That One Thing. You know, that one thing. You ever had that conversation with a friend of yours and you go, you know that one thing? And you can't remember what that one thing is? I got to tell you, Paul had no problem remembering what the one thing was. But he comes to the middle of this book and he uses an interesting word we're going to look at in just a moment. He says, finally, and you know, there's a joke that goes with this passage. I don't know if you've ever heard it or not. But they say that this is proof that Paul was a Baptist preacher. And you go, what do you mean? Well, because he got halfway through the letter and he says, finally. But he was nowhere near being finished. Y'all get the joke now. Baptist preachers don't know when to. Yeah, okay. I don't think he was. But he comes back to that one thing. And you may say, well, what is that one thing? That one thing that makes the kingdom of God move forward. That one thing that every local congregation has to keep foremost and central uh, in our lives. That one thing that as followers of Jesus, we're supposed to be about. That one thing. And it is lifting up the name of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, and letting it make an impact on us individually impact on us as a congregation and more importantly than that an impact on how we live and do ministry collectively together so i want to walk with you if you will walk with me through this passage as we look at what he says that one thing let me say it again he says look at verse one finally my brothers rejoice in the lord To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. I've always found it kind of interesting when he gets to the middle of the letter and says finally, but that's not really what he's talking about. He's not talking about let me conclude what I'm talking about. What he's saying, I think, is this. Here is what needs to be said. Here is the summary of who we are. Here's the conclusion, if you will, of what we're all about. As the song says, when the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come longing to bring something that's of worth, I will bless your heart. I want you to know there is no one thing more important in the kingdom of God than lifting up the name of Jesus and the gospel being proclaimed. That's the one thing that is most important. And what Paul does, I think, here is he lays out bare his heart to a people he loves dearly, a people he's not sure he'll ever see again, a people he'll never for sure know if he'll get back to visit with, that this is what life is supposed to be about as a follower of Jesus. Now, remember, he's in prison. He has no idea if he's going to see him again. He's not sure if he's going to die for his faith. And so he takes the opportunity right here to say, you remember that one thing, keep that one thing central in what you're doing. Yeah, I've told you this before, but I I don't see any problem telling you again to write the same things again. It's no trouble for me. It's safe for you. This is a positive thing. Let's look at this and say, here it is. The gospel is paramount. It leads me to this thought. Folks, we can never be reminded too much of God's truth. We can never be reminded too much of his truth. You know, the longer we serve the Lord, I think sometimes it becomes easy at times to begin to to think, well, we must have arrived. We must have completed the task. We must believe enough. We must do enough. We must be going enough. We must be enough that we're somehow better than others. But the truth, my friends, is this. If I could live a thousand lifetimes, I would still be discovering the new truths of God and his word. We don't arrive. 
We need to be reminded again and again and again. It really doesn't matter how long you follow Jesus and his call in your life. You've got steps to go, and I would dare say many, many steps to go, just as I do. I'm reminded of the instruction given to God's people not long after they received the Ten Commandments. He said, you've got to keep reminding yourself. Do it again and again and again. He told the, the people in, in the nation this, You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart, and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and you and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. If I had time this morning, I would explain to you what they, they do in Israel to this day to do that. They wear these boxes on their forehead with written scripture in them as a way to try to fulfill the scripture. But it's more than that, my friends. It's not just sticking some words on your head. It's about living them in your heart and in your life and having a passion for God and his truth and his word. So let me say it again. Be watching for legalists. You go, what? He kind of takes a sidestep here because he wants to remind him of something. He says, look out for dogs. Look out for dogs. You always got to be looking out for dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. What Paul is saying here is something that is kind of foreign to us because we look at that phrase and we think, well, is he talking about my pet? He is absolutely not talking about your pets. He's talking about something way bigger and way more important than a dog. As much as some of you just think those things have set the moon, okay, or hung the moon. He's talking about a a, a, a situation where people will come in and begin to destroy things. So be watching for legalists is really what I think he's saying here. He, Paul is telling them to watch out for the dogs. He's not watching for your pet to come by so you can give him a belly rub. He's saying watch out for the wild dogs in the world who will come and destroy you. Because that was the nature of the, the culture back then. They didn't have dogs for the most part as pets. Dogs were wild. They were ran in packs. They would destroy and kill and maim as much as they could. And so what Paul is using is that image of a dog saying, look out for them. Watch out for those who would come in to your church, Philippi, and bring along legalistic regulations and rules into the church because those can destroy a church. You know, people from every corner of the world have a tendency to write laws and rules and regulations and executive orders and all these other things. The Old Testament is filled with all kinds of regulations about dietary laws and physical marks and rules about what could and couldn't be done, what you could and couldn't eat and how you had to prepare those kind of things. And Paul is saying, watch out. Don't let those people get into your church and into your life and repose, impose legalism in place of the freedom of Jesus. Because the freedom of Jesus is where life is found. That's where we're able to proclaim the gospel. We're able to lift up Jesus and make a difference. Don't let them have a foothold in your life. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the legalism that can come in. And I think that's what we need to grasp right quick here is this. We need to be ever vigilant for those who would impose a stale legalism. One of the most important changes found in the arrival of Jesus is this. We have found freedom. We have freedom in the Lord. We've been set free to serve him. We've been served, set free to live for him. And as he completed the work of the sacrificial lamb on the cross, dying for the sins of those who would be redeemed, he sets us free to live a life of glory and a life of joy. You know, you go, wait, wait, didn't Paul grow up Jewish? 
Absolutely. Didn't Paul grow up legalistic? Absolutely. Paul had discovered exactly this transition in his life. When he met Jesus, he was changed forever. He was changed from glory to glory. He was moved in a way that was transformative and transformational and radical. He says, I'm not going to live a legalistic lifestyle anymore. I'm going to live a life of freedom in Jesus because he's called me out of that. He even told the church down the coast at Corinth this. He said, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. Now, that doesn't give you a license to do what you want to do. It gives you a license to be who he wants you to be and to do the things he calls you to do. Following Jesus releases us to the people he wants us to be. So, let me say it again. Be watching for legalists. And then he turns this way. He says, I could stand on my heritage. I'm going to ask you, don't write anything in the blank if, if you haven't already. Because your my could be something different than heritage in a moment. Your, your my could be your family. Your my could be your education. Your my could be your resourcefulness. Your my could be your intelligence. Your my could be your wealth. But Paul's is this, his heritage. Look what he says. He says, for we are the circumcision who worship in the, by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. You're going, wow, he's arrogant. No, he just understands where he came from. They needed to be reminded to look out for the legalist who would come in and destroy and tear down. And so what Paul does is he turns to his own story and says, here's my story. I could sing of my heritage all day long. I could stand on my heritage all day long. I could tell you about all my history and all my goodness and all my greatness and all my re- rules and regulation following and all the things I've done over the years. You may remember when Paul came to Philippi in Acts, The first person to trust Christ was a woman who had converted to Judaism. She had heard the law, but she didn't know the freedom of Christ. And he he uses a, a phrase here, we are the circumcision. Now, he's talking about his physical act, obviously, but I think there's another layer here we want to see is this idea that he has been set free from these rules. Here's a guy raised as a Jew of Jews, a man who was on the inside track to leadership in their religion, a man who had sought to force others to remain committed to the rules. If you remember, the reason he went to Damascus was to what? Enforce the rules. And he lists his Jewish credentials. This is where I came from. If anybody could claim a legalistic life, it was Paul. Born legalist. Lived as a legalist, would likely die his life as a legalist from this life until Jesus intervened. He says, I know what I'm talking about. I've been there. He says, I had the lineage. I had the credentials. I had the training. I know the rules. I know the regulations. I know it all. But let me tell you something. None of that stuff is going to matter in the end because there's something more important. That one thing that we keep talking about. Here's my thought right here. Reject reliance on heritage or accomplishments or whatever else you wrote in that blank for true relationship 
with Jesus. Now, Paul's headed toward the one big idea, but there's one thing that really matters. It's not your spiritual heritage. It's not your education. It's not your status in society. It's not your experiences in life. It's not your knowledge that you have accumulated. It's not your goodness that you have. It's not the number of zeros on your bank account. Instead, the most important thing is this, knowing Jesus and making him known. Relationship with Jesus changes it. You know, I could stand here this morning and proclaim my heritage. I was thinking about this. I am, I, I am blessed. I don't, I don't mean to denigrate this when I say this. But I am the, the son of a deacon, and that is a good thing, by the way. I'm a grandson of a church musician who was a gospel songwriter. I'm the great-grandson of a preacher who preached in Arkansas and Oklahoma territories. I could stand here and say, look at the heritage I have. But can I tell you something? None of that matters. The only thing that matters is my relationship with Jesus and then following him and serving him and doing the thing he's called me to do. None of those distinctions will stand up in the the fire of, of eternity. We must never allow ourselves to fall in the trap of legalism and start saying, look what I've done. No, look what Jesus is doing instead. One of the last words of the prophets just before the exile said, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Hey, boast. I'm going to challenge you to boast all day long, but boast in Jesus of what he's doing in you and through you and accomplishing in your life because he's in charge. So let me say it again. Be watching for legalists. I could stand in my heritage, but guess what? Jesus is my what? My top priority. Look at verse 7. But whatever gain I had, Paul says, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So with the recognition of a great heritage revealed, Paul makes it crystal clear and makes a crystal clear declaration about whatever he had. None of that stuff matters. I don't know about you, but I find that freeing. Especially for some of us who don't maybe have the heritage that some others do, we say it doesn't matter the background. It doesn't matter what we've had in the past. It doesn't matter the experiences we've had back there. No, what matters is where Christ is where right now, where he's leading us future, and what he's going to accomplish in us as we continue to stay faithful. Here was Paul living under arrest, facing an unknown future, being cared for by others, sending away those who are in his team for the sake of the gospel, and makes a declaration here of his top priority. It's Jesus. His focal point in life was Jesus crucified, buried, raised the third day. He wanted the church at Philippi, I think you and me as well, to understand that whenever anything takes priority over in Jesus, we're missing the mark. It's all about Jesus. When heritage takes center stage, we've got to push it aside. When acts of service rise to the top, we must push, we must push them down. When our family connections prove, provide a sense of self-importance, we must remember who our real father is. And please remember, he's not saying reject your family. He's not saying reject an education. He's not saying reject 
provide for your family and earn a living. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is through it all, Jesus has got to be higher, bigger, and way more important than anything else to keep him in perspective. It leads me to a thought. Let me paraphrase another scripture verse. Jesus must increase and I must, dis- I must decrease. So take off on Jesus' words when he spoke about God the Father. I think, though, it's a maxim that we need to remind ourselves on a regular basis. Because of our fallen nature, we are so easily distracted into thinking that we are the most important thing in life, that we are of prime importance. And as we do this, we begin to raise our stock independent of Jesus and think, well, I can do this, I can handle this. And it leads us down a dangerous road of dogs, legalism, ritual, dead spirituality. And we miss the joy that Paul talks about in this book, that we need to find in Christ, the joy that transforms how we live. And instead, we've got to let Jesus be our all in all, to be our prime mover, to surrender our existence to whatever he desires of us. I'm reminded of the scene where Jesus had begun what we commonly call his public ministry. You remember the scene in your mind as I share it with you. Jesus traveled to the Sea of Galilee early on in his ministry, and he was down by the seashore, and he came across a number of men. Do you remember the scene? You can maybe see it in your mind. And there Jesus walks up to these guys and says to them, English translation, two words. Follow me. Follow me. Those are some powerful words when we let that understanding sink into our hearts and minds because what that call does is it changes us and takes us in a direction that is entirely different than what we would do on our own. On our own, there's nothing good, no righteousness we have of our own. We we don't have that without him, but with him we find that he takes us in a direction where he wants to be prime of our life and most important in our life, and their concern at that point forward became how to go forward with him. But do you remember not too long after all this happens? Jesus is teaching one day at the seashore. There's a crowd gathered, and his mama and his brothers and sisters show up. They think Jesus has lost his mind. You're going, huh? Sometimes family thinks we're a little nuts, right? They think that he's lost his mind. And they came looking for him, coming to rescue him from himself. And they're knocking at the door saying, can we come in and talk to Jesus? Because really, we need to take him home and, and get him straightened out. And Jesus' answer to them was this, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Folks, I have a family, extended family. I have in-laws. I have grandparents. Nope. I don't have grandparents anymore. I've got kids. I've got siblings. But the kingdom of God's citizens are of primary importance to me. Why? Because in Christ, we are brothers and sisters. And that's our family. And our task is to be out sharing the gospel so others can join that family and be a part of that family. Our lives are forever changed 
when we follow him. So let me say it again. Be watching for legalists. I can stand in my heritage, yet Jesus is my top priority. So I will live fully for him. Look at eight and following. For his sake, whose sake? For Jesus' sake. Paul says, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on not works, but faith, so that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, with the understanding that Jesus is his top priority, Paul makes it uh, what many believe to be a reaffirmation of his faith in Christ. There's some powerful stuff here that we could spend hours on. We won't, but we could dig into this really deep and grasp what he's talking about, at least at one level, is this. He's, he's giving his, a, a declaration that says, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to sing of his love forever. I'm going to proclaim him with every action of my life. And he makes a conscious choice here to lose the world, to count the things of the world as trash. Why? So he can follow Christ. And he wants the church at Philippi to hear this declaration. It's not about him. It's about Jesus. It's about the gospel, about lifting up Christ. And what righteousness he had was not his. He couldn't be good enough. He couldn't be moral enough. He couldn't be religious enough to ever merit God's love. And everything he had done and everything he was doing and all he would ever do, he intended it to rest on Jesus. Instead of living out his life, he says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to live my life for Jesus. And if that meant dying in prison where he was, so be it. If it meant suffering for Jesus' name, so be it. If it meant hardship and trial, so be it. If it meant seeing others come to faith in Jesus, so be it. If it meant living many more years, so be it. What he understood was this. He was a work in progress, and he knew his foundation was sure, and he believed God was at work in his life, and he had confidence that one day he would be resurrected from the dead. And he would say things like this, For to me to live is Christ." And to die is gain. This leads me to one more thought. Following Jesus is an all-consuming passion for the things and ways of God. What Paul is telling, I think, the church at Philippi, and, and you and me as well, is the one thing we need to understand is life is never really found until we do that one thing. What's that one thing? It's seeing other people hear the gospel, sensing the Holy Spirit speaking to them, and them answering the call to follow God. Can I tell you something? There is no higher calling for a child of God than to be a part of that process. You're going, well, I've never had the opportunity to lead somebody to Christ. It's not about the point. It's about the process. As we serve together, as we work together, as we walk together as the church of the living God, we are part of that process. You say, well, all I did was greet somebody when they walked into church building the first time. You don't think that's important? I've talked to many people who say, I visited such and such church and nobody ever spoke to me. How sad. I've been to churches where nobody ever spoke to me. 
Really? See, it takes all of us together, walking together, loving each other, serving together, ministering together, participating in whatever God's task he has for us, and keeping the focus on what? Lifting up Jesus. To follow Jesus, to become fishers of men. That's what he says in Matthew 4.19. He said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Be fishers of people. I want to be a fisher of people, don't you? Not for my sake. It's not about me. It's about Christ being lifted up. Let him be glorified through it all to declare to those around us. So let me ask you this. Have you come to the place where you've trusted him? See, if you don't know Jesus, you can't really talk about him very well. You can't proclaim his goodness. But once you know him, you got something to talk about, right? The life change he's given you, the transformation he's working in you, the, the future he has for you, the hope that you see out there. So maybe you're here today and you need to make a decision to follow Christ. We want to give you that opportunity here in a moment. You say, well, I'm afraid. God's love is all-enveloping. And when we surrender to him, he will hold us and keep us. There's nothing to fear. Maybe you need to have other decisions you need to make. Maybe you need to take that declaration of Paul's and say, I need to reclaim in my life the promise of being his child and walking with him. Who knows how many days we have left? Who knows how much time we have before he's over, this world is over. So we invite you to come and share if you need to. Come and ask for someone to pray. Come and ask for questions and someone to pray for you. And we're going to give you that opportunity right now. Father God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your all-consuming pursuit of us. Father, we pray that we would answer that call to follow you. Father, there's some here, I believe, that need you for the very first time. Some need to renew that commitment. Some need to make a commitment to be a part of this congregation officially, to be a part of the team of sharing the gospel in this place and out of this place and through this community. And Father, we pray your hand on these few moments. In Jesus' name we pray.